I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Palawa people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And, you know, they just bring you into a family. You feel like you're part of the family and, um, you know, I give them everything that I can um, to to make the ciders the best that I can for them. Um, Yeah, it's it's actually very humbling uh, and I'm very proud. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Kirk McDonald has the exciting role of making cider at Willie Smith's in Tasmania's Huon Valley. Australia's first certified organic cider. Willie Smith is a true orchard to bottle process and the taste experience is unlike anything you've sipped before. Hi Kirk, thanks for joining me. My pleasure Shantae. How are you feeling down in Tassie at the moment? Is it absolutely freezing? No, it's a beautiful day. There's uh, just a little wisp of wind and blue skies and sun shining. It's beautiful. Oh, that sounds lovely. Now, tell me a little bit about growing up in Darwin, and then how did you find yourself into the cider business? Um, it's quite a long story, but um, I come, come from a Navy background. Um, my father was in the Navy and um, travelled all around Australia, um, and I ended up in Strathalbyn in my last few years of high school in South Australia, near Langhorn Creek. Um and yeah, socialised and grew up with a lot of uh, you know fourth, fifth generation families in Langhorn Creek, growing grapes and making wine. Um, and uh, I joined the navy, followed my father. Uh, I didn't drink alcohol as a kid. Um, didn't didn't like it at all. And um, when I left the navy, I thought about what I wanted to do with my life and uh, ended up going to university in Adelaide and making wine, uh, learning to make wine and made wine. Um, and along the way, I discovered cider and ended up in Tassie. <laughs> well, I'm glad to, glad to hear that you weren't drinking alcohol as a kid. But I mean, I think that we've all had that experience of having a sip of mum and dad's beer or something and thinking, what is all the fuss about? But the moment for you changed when you drank a Chardonnay, is that right? Yes. Um, well, I'd grown up, uh, you know, there was red wine around the house and Dad drank red wine and I was, you know, as you said, I was like, what is the fuss with this stuff? It's disgusting. Uh, and even beer uh, at parties, it's like, mm, not really into this. Uh, and during the Navy, I I drank, I learned to drink rum, uh, as all good sailors do, and um, eventually I found my taste buds, I suppose, matured and I started drinking wine and, you know, Dad was buying the wine so I drank it with him and um, got a taste for it. Uh, But, yeah, I didn't really like white wine um, and I didn't like the acidity of it. And um, during O-Week, orientation week at university, we tasted some trophy winners from the Adelaide Wine Show and uh, there was a Kate Mantell Chardonnay there. And I quickly learned what all the fuss was about and fell in love. And to this day, I still love Chardonnay. Oh, that's good to hear because I love Chardonnay too. So we can we can agree on that point. And then tell me a little bit about your experience with the Cooper's Sparkling. Well, yeah, I grew up in South Australia. So Cooper's is kind of an iconic um, drink to have. Um, very 
much uh, the drink of choice at university. Um, but prior to that, I found Cooper's Sparkling on tap in Sydney and I tried it. And it, at, the, at the stage, it didn't really have a very developed um, sense of taste, but I thought it was quite fruity. And, um, and I was still sort of trying to work out what I liked to drink as a young adult. And um, I, just, I saw cider on the shelf and I thought, well, cider's kind of fruity and I like Cooper's Sparkling. So I um, drank, of all things, Scrumpy Jack and um, that opened my eyes to cider. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think I remember my first taste of cider as well. And and when we say cider, I think it's hard to um, – it falls into this same category, but there is a huge realm of differences between excellent cider and terrible cider, in my opinion. Um, but we'll get to that a bit later. Tell me a little bit about Tassie because, you know, Tassie has the name the Apple Isle and, and apples have been grown in Tasmania for quite some time, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Um- well, William Bly planted seven. I've only just learned this myself, but William Bly planted um, seven apple trees on Bruny Island in 1788. And the Huon Valley is the perfect climate for growing apples, and they grow really well here. And so apples spread um, more as a food source than having the pleasure of making cider out of. Uh, and there was thousands of apple orchards in Tassie and that's where it sort of became known as the Apple Isle. Um, and then through the through the years, like a lot of agricultural industries, there's boom and bust and um, apples, apple orchards um, declined and the government actually gave growers money to leave the industry. Um, and... Um, yeah, now there's, I think, only about 20, 20 growers left in Tasmania. Wow. I mean, I suppose, I suppose you know, there are so many different agricultural products that do well and, and not everybody can have an apple orchard. Um, but as I said, cider's come such a long way in Australia. How have you seen the industry and the ciders change over the time that you've been involved? So like a lot of... Um, Australians, I suppose, when you think of cider, you first think of um, Strongbow and Mercury. Um, and although they're, you know, great products, um, there's technically nothing wrong with them, but cider cider has a lot more to offer than um, just those, those, those styles. Um, and we've got a lot of heritage apples in the Huon Valley, um, varieties such as Kingston Black and Yarlington Mill, um, which provide, you know, as an eating apple, they're, they're not that great. Um, in fact, most people wouldn't, wouldn't enjoy them at all. But they make these very, very interesting ciders with not only the, you know, the apple characters, aromas and flavours, but there's these uh, tannins and acids that um, are simply amazing and you know, it's quite akin to, to wine varieties. Um, they... You know, everything's in the apple that's there to make a great cider. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they call them spitter apples, don't they? When with the the kind of bitterness and astringency that you get off um, off some of those apples, I may or may not have stole into an apple orchard once to to pick just an apple for myself, and I think it must have been at a not at a culinary apple grower. And I remember, yeah, it was the joke was on me because uh, I just had this dry tannic mouth and this puckering soured face and I was like oh my god that was not what I was hoping for yeah um I had that experience when uh, I first came down to Willie Smith's and was tasting through some of the components made from different varieties and there's a, a variety called Freck and Rouge which we affectionately just called Freckers um and uh it is just a tannin monster um but the balance and palate weight that you can get from that variety is is simply amazing and when I first tasted it it blew me away and my mind just started racing it's like you know if I put a bit of this with a bit of that and um uh, and I, I was just amazed so you know in the wine industry uh, people are adding tannins um to their ferments and um produce uh and their you know the finished wines to to get the tannin profile, but it's already there in these apple varieties. Yeah, and I think that like whether we whatever you want to call it, but even like that that element of bitterness, you know, it, it plays such an important role. We know in things like perhaps amaros, um, but we don't always talk about it in such a friendly way when it comes to adding something to a finished product. But it's so important, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and we. We pretty much divide um, heritage apples into bittersweets and bitter sharps. Um, that they both add a bitter character, um, and some varieties, uh, you know, like a Sturma Pippin, for instance, has quite a sharp, acidic character to it, and um, you know, a bittersweet has the the sweet balance. So if you're blending the two together, you can end up with quite. Um, an interesting drink. Definitely interesting and, and definitely delicious. Um, I think Willie Smith was one of the first ciders that I tried um, that wasn't from France that I was like, oh my gosh, now this is right up my alley. Being somebody that loves kind of acidity, but doesn't like the kind of sickly sweet ciders that I'd ha- perhaps tried in the past. Can you give me a bit of an understanding of what the whole orchard to bottle process means with Willie Smith? Yeah, so I'm in a very lucky position where I work for a family, fourth generation growing apples and have an amazing orchard literally at my back door um, right next to the, next to the um, press and the cidery. Um, so I can go out and look at the orchard, look at the apples and make a picking decision um, then and there. There's, there is some differences with processing apples to grapes and we do a thing which we call sweating the apples where we just allow them to sit and um, intensify and then we and we process them so we you know we're processing the juice um, and almost everything we do is organic um, and um, yeah and we make make the apple juice here on site we ferment it through we package it on site here and um, so everything's within our control uh, in the Huon Valley. Which is wonderful. It means you're not, you know, relying on 
you know, holdups for packaging or what else, you know, having to ship off the juice in, in, in temperature controlled vats, you know, and, 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 and waiting on that process. It really means that you can be really detailed in all the elements. The Smith family is in their fourth generation now. What's it like working for a family with such a rich history in the area? It's um, it's actually very emotional um, thing for me to be working for a fourth generation family, um, and anyone that's met Andrew and Ian, um, I think would share the same sentiments as me, and that they're just salt of the earth, genuine people. Um, the generations have been through boom and bust, and Andrew's father Ian went through two significant rebuildings of the business um, due to bushfires and then uh, when Britain joined the European uh, common market, the export for uh, export. I'm going to say this a few times, grapes and wine, export um, for apples um, uh, dried up. So we had to rebuild, rebuild the business and then Andrew came along. Um, yeah, he'd been often seen the world and Andrew's passion is sailing. He's a he's a very high high level um, sailor, and he'd seen you know some organic orchards and organic way of doing things overseas and intensive planting. And he brought those back to, back to Ian, and you know they 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 had some discussions over it, and it, it's commonly referred to as the blue that they had. Um, but. Andrew then took us into an organic phase, um, which wouldn't have been popular at the time. People would have, you know, would have thought you're a hippie or, you know, something along those lines. But um, he saw the saw the future and um, and here we are today. You know, um, he's one of the largest organic apple growers in the country and um, each generation has brought their own. Um, it's quite emotional for me. I'm, I'm very, very proud to work for them. That's wonderful to hear, and and I imagine you know when it is family run business, you you know you you are emotionally invested in them, and and it must be really humbling to feel a part of their story. Yeah, it is, and Andrew's just such an approachable guy, um, and you know you see Ian still strolling around, um, having a look, but he you know he's just yeah he's 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 kind of retired, but he's still around the place, and. Um, you know, I can go to Andrew with anything. Um, you know, when I first moved down here, Andrew said, don't you buy a house without you telling telling me about it first. And, um, uh, and it, you know, he, they just bring you into a family. You feel like you're part of the family. And, um, you know, I give them everything that I can um, to to make the side as the best that I can for them. Um, yeah, it's, re- it's actually very humbling uh, and I'm very proud. That's awesome. How did you feel when you first moved down to Tassie? Were you hesitant or were you excited for the move? Um, I was very excited. We had, uh, my partner and myself had discussed making Tassie our home. And um, yeah, when I when I first came down here, I had a look around and met um, Andrew. Andrew spent the whole day with me and you know, that was quite incredible. He, he showed me all his orchards and his different varieties and um, he's got a new variety called Southern Bliss, um, which he had planted up, which is, you know, he, he has the rights to. Um, put me down to the Huon River and showed me that. And, um, yeah, and spent a lot of time with me, had, had lunch. And halfway through the day, I, I just said, 
to, to my partner um, because they interviewed her as well um, and, you know, it had to be right for both of us. And um, I just said to, said to my partner, uh, I found my people. This is where we belong. Like I, I know that I can – I've got the technical skills to, to make cider really well for them, but, you know, I feel like I belong here. And uh, I've heard that from a number of people that have come and worked for the Smith family. That's amazing. I think that's wonderful that they interviewed your partner because as you, as everyone knows, it's, you know, it takes a team effort, you know, and if your partner's unhappy and you're in the job of a lifetime, that's, that really pulls you in two different directions. Yeah, it, it does. And um, she's actually on her way in now to have, you know, an afternoon drink with, with everyone that's still here. Um, and I've spent the morning um, looking at some, uh, brandies and a couple of new products and blending and I've left them out so that I can show her you know, what what I do um, uh, day to day. And I mean, that's a bit of a kick for her. But uh, as, as much as Andrew said to me, if there's anything that I need when I started, like if there's anything that my partner needs, um, he's there for her as well. Oh, the perks of the job. Someone's got to sit down and taste the, the fruits of your labour and uh, <laughs> I feel like that's that's a nice place to be. I want to talk a bit about the Willie Smith range because it, it made a lot of sense when I first started tasting them because it, it reminded me almost of a model of a winery in terms of um, having – something there for everybody, but then also having these special releases and um, kind of limited additions as well. Can you walk us through kind of the offerings? Yep. Um, so we have our have our core range and um, uh, some seasonal releases that come out in cans. We have a canning line on site. Um, and um, we have our organic, which we just – that's what we call it, organic, and it's it's our biggest seller. Um, we also keg on site as well. Um, and it's uh, pretty much made using dessert apples. So it, it's a mixture of um, Pink Lady, Fuji and Gala. Um, and, you know, we blend it up to be, you know, sort of the introduction, the, um, the beautiful uh, apple flavours, but also um, quite approachable and, you know, not finishing with a, an astringent or tannic flavour or acidic flavour. Um, then we have um, our bone dry, which is, as the name um, says, is bone dry. We don't uh, we don't add any juice back to it to to make the balance um, more sustainable and and flavoursome. And it's for people that really like that bone dry acidic style um, of, of cider. Um, we have what we call our traditional, which um, has a percentage of cider apples added to it, um, which is sort of a step up from from the organic and, and is an introduction to the flavours and more so the tactile sensation in the mouth of um, what heritage and traditional apples um, provide. Um what else do we do? Uh, we've just introduced a non-alk, which is um, which is a very new product, um, but it's extremely popular. And um, we we used our access to heritage apples 
um, to still create something that tasted very much like a cider um, with with no alcohol. Um, yeah, so that's very, very popular. Um, and we do a um, seasonal, which is a sour, um, and we use um, a Sturma Pippen apple for that, which, um, you know, is uh, it's a heritage apple, but it's got a strong um, Australian and Tasmanian connection. Um, and a lot of growers have that because it flowers for a long time and enables cross-pollination of apples that flower early or trees that flower early and trees that flower late. Um, uh, what else do we do? For our limiteds, um, we uh, – so that's that's under review every year. Uh, we have some, have some mainstays. So it, it's kind of like um, in the wine industry, a best of vintage. Um, we – we have our heritage, which um, is our icon product, which, you know, we won um, Australian Cider Awards Best in Show with in 22. Um, and we have our Kingston Black, which is a single variety offering every year. We do that. And then this year we'll probably do a single variety of Yarlington Mill. Um, and it's, it's really there to um, showcase what, single varieties and cider apples are all about um and our yeah and, and going back to our heritage it's this is the this is the best that we can do we throw everything that we possibly can at making this and it's from a single grower um in franklin in in the huon valley that has a number of heritage varieties and that's all he does um and grows them very very well and we, you know, we make our heritage blend from that. Um, and then we do a keeving product, um, which is an old uh, technique that involves the pectin in apples locking up the nutrients and pretty much starving the ferment from finishing and um, creates quite a unique flavour profile. It's a in very interesting cider to make because um, it looks absolutely terrible during the um, process um, and uh, the assistant cider maker, that's his baby and I give him his head with it and, um, and he loved making it. Um, it's his, his baby and, you know, he, he almost looks at me, don't go near my Keeve. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a very, very interesting product. I love that there is this there's so much to the portfolio, you know. Um I've poured the Willie Smith um heritage blend out of the 750 and I loved it because I was like, it's one of those drinks where you have a little bit and and you want more. So serving it in like that 750 larger bottle, it would disappear before my eyes. And I just remember the Psalms at the end of the night would be like, is there any of the Willie Smith flat? Because I'll have it flat over ice, you know, <laughs> and they would pour the, the, the dregs of it because everybody wanted to have that last sip of it. So um, I love that it's served in that larger format bottle. Fantastic to to hear, and um, yeah, I think that um, yeah, Willie Smiths have so much to offer that you, if you haven't tasted cider or 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 um, unique Australian cider, then you know the core range is a stepping stone. It can show you what what can be done, and then 
And our limiteds, which you know we commonly refer to as our playground, um, they're not very big quantities because obviously they're limited. Um, but it's our it's our playground. It's where our, our cider makers get to experiment and and try things new. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the possibilities for, for cider at a dining table haven't quite been realised, in my opinion, because I, I really think that these drinks are so complex and, you know, like you said, there's there's those fruity elements to, to the core range, which is just absolutely delicious, refreshing, everything you want out of crunching into a, an apple. But some of the other ranges, they're so detailed and they really can kind of work through an entire meal from entree to main course to kind of dessert and after. Yes. Um, there, well, recently I did a, um, a collab uh, with a restaurant here down, down at, um, I think it's Princess Wharf. Um, Aloft is the restaurant and we did a cider matching um, course uh or degustation, I suppose, I suppose with them, and um, they use both cider in their uh, cooking and also as um, you know accompaniment, and that was that was a huge hit. It opened people's eyes to you know I can drink cider with my meal just like people drink wine with their meal, um, because there is the tannin profile and the acid profile there that can stand up to. To you know, big big steaks or or um, you know large dishes or something that matches the pasta. So they're they're just as versatile as wine. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that like also just even glassware choice. I know with the barrel um, the brandy aged the barrel um, cider that you have. I used to serve that in a pinot noir glass because it really it just kind of changed over time. But it had so much going on. It really needed to kind of have that big bulbous kind of glassware to show it off yes absolutely and you know that's the the difference between uh drinking something out of the can you don't really get to see it open up and, and evolve although i have seen people pouring organic into glasses and going, oh this is so much better out of glass and of course when it's poured on draft people go oh this is so good um but yeah i've had that same experience with um you know, I'm, I'm going to use the term wine snobs. It's like, you know, I, I don't drink cider. And then I show them some of our ciders and it's like, wow, um, unbelievable. And then they go away and start finding, you know, the, the ciders that are in France and, and the UK um, and, you know, know that we're doing this in Australia. It's just it's a bit of a hidden, bit of a secret at the moment. And I, and I can see cider really becoming a big part of um, people's drinks vocabulary in the future. Mm. Especially as an adult drink. And I, I can't emphasize that enough that it is such an adult drink. And I'm so excited that you did say you're doing a non-alcoholic version because when I was pregnant, I was drinking a bit of sparkling apple juice because it was something that I could pour and kind of hide from people that went into a, a flute glass or whatever it was. But I remember thinking, I wish there was a more, mature tasting sparkling apple juice that's non-alcoholic because it was delicious but you know it didn't have kind of you know the the level of complexity and so the fact you're doing that is so exciting and you're using those heritage blends that's awesome yeah um and that's really as i said that's really what made us able to make that product still taste um not just like sparkling apple juice um 
as it, you know, it's a drink. It just doesn't have the alcohol, um, and it, it tastes like like cider. That said, um, it will be ranged in woolly supermarkets pretty soon. So, um, yeah, um, that's a bit of a scoop um, for you. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> And great that people know where they can get it and pop it in their um, trolleys while they're doing everything else. Tell me a little bit about your midwinter festival because that sounds delightful and I'm just sad that I'm not going to be there to experience it. Oh, it is. And this is, I think, our 10th anniversary um, and uh, it's just an amazing um, festival of um I suppose the marketing line is fire feasting, the wassail ritual, and we have the big burning man, which is a sight to behold in itself. Um, it's it's a steel structure of a of a man basically uh, filled with straw that set fire to, and in a bit of a ceremony, um, which we we commonly refer to as just Big Willie, and um, it. It's basically a, a throwback to the days of warding off any disease and pestilence in the vineyard. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. There's a lot of you know, people get dressed up. There's face painting. There's um, music and celebration. And you know, something that really struck me about Tasmania when I first moved here was how friendly and genuine people are. And um, it's you see that in in the festivals. You see it in in Dark Mofo at the moment. That's on. Um, everyone's just so friendly and happy to mingle and socialise, um, and it, it's really enjoyable. Drinking cider, of course. Of course, the best part. I mean, I, I love the fact that for me, Tassie definitely knows how to festival. That's for sure. But I always found that that they know how to do lots of family based outdoor entertainment, like you know. All the, all the markets you go to, you just see that everybody's there and it's children and it's babies and it's, and you know, it's your grandma and your grandpa and it, it just really um, directed at everybody and I love that. Yes, that's very true. I, I worked our stall at um, Dark Mofo last Sunday and um, so I got to see, uh, you know, the range of people coming through and I still haven't. Uh, managed to use my phone to tap to pay for things, but I had um, like uh, ladies and gentlemen that are probably in their eighties using their phone to tap for their um, payment of their cider, and it just sort of made me realise that you know there is there's everything from you know the mum or dad pushing the pram through the crowds and people making way to you know little little kids dressed up and enjoying themselves and. Um, you know, through to you know, even even the young people having, you know, the time of their life and, and probably still learning how much alcohol they should or shouldn't drink, there's still no bad behaviour and it's just it's just fun and safe. Well, Tassie's certainly doing something right down there and uh, I don't know what the secret is, but um, may, yeah, maybe keep it for yourselves because um, that's not always the case in other states. <laughs> Kurt, I'd love to know if you could drink th only three beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Okay. Um, I've, I've given this some thought previously. Um, I'm a big fan of um, Saison DuPont. Um, 
uh, uh, you know, f- uh, beer. Um, on my special wine treat is um, is champagne. Um, as much as I love Chardonnay, uh, a good champagne. Um, and my go-to for that, it, I mean, it changes so much, but um, something that if I if I just had to have one champagne for the rest of my life, it would probably have to be Billy Cart. And I just, you know, it just ticks all the boxes for me. Um, and then I would want a pallet's probably not big enough, but a refrigerated container of just the wide range of different ciders that are available from out the world because I'm still learning about cider and I think I always will. Um, And just to, you know, open just different ciders from even just in France, just the number of different ciders that are available um, and just, just for education purposes and learning. So... Oh, I love that because there are, you're right, and some of those trees are ancient that they make those amazing, amazing ciders from. And and you're right, I think that there's so much to learn and isn't that exciting that it's, you know, you don't get to a place where you can sit back and say we've done our best. It's 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 an ongoing process. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sitting here now in the boardroom looking out at um, our vineyard and, and you know, looking at the, at the vineyard, at the orchard, I do that all the time, Shannon. <laughs> um, I, I, I completely know what you mean, though. I can picturing apples, but I, you know, it made sense to me. <laughs> um, looking at the orchard, and you know, they've they've almost got characters. Each each tree has a, has a character of its own, um, and yeah, you know, they're kind of just looking at me with no leaves at the moment, thinking, "Yeah, we're just going to have a rest for a while now. We'll be back." <laughs> Sounds good. And what's even more exciting is if I ever sneak down to Willie Smith's and uh, try and, you know, pop in for a little crunch on an apple, you do have some of those culinary dessert apples that I could pick off the tree, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, because we're right on um, onto major roads on the corner here, um, you know, you do see tourists just stopping off and, and grabbing grabbing an apple straight off the tree. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, you're more than welcome to come down. Well, very cheeky. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that now. I would definitely ask permission. <laughs> I, I suggest you do that. I, but it was a long time ago. I think I was sub eighteen. Um, but if you're ever down this way, sure, come by, and I'll, I'll show you through some orchards and um, through our cider range. Oh, that sounds like a perfect day out. Kirk, it's been so lovely to hear a little bit about what you do. I'm such a, a long-time fan of, of all the range. And if you don't drink cider, then what the hell are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Shantae, and have a great day. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod. And contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.